Hi, guys. Today's episode is going to focus on the leaked Supreme Court opinion that would overturn Roe v. Wade and end the constitutional right to an abortion that would essentially dismantle 50 years of precedent, paving the way for states to limit abortion rights. Today, I talked to Dr. Mira Shah, Chief Medical Officer at Planned Parenthood, Hudson Peconic, and the author of You're the Only One I've Told, The Stories Behind Abortion. This news has started a political firestorm and is deepening divisions even more. And I feel like one of the best things we can do at this time and as a country is to really start talking to each other and listening. I hope you enjoy my interview with Dr. Mira Shah. So career background, you're obviously a family physician, or you were one at Callan Lord. Is that where you started? Well, uh, so I'm, I'm a board certified family medicine physician. Okay. My first job out of residency was at Callan Lord Community Health Center. Um, yep. Here in New York City. And for the past four years, I've been at Planned Parenthood Hudson Baconic, where I'm currently the chief medical officer. I am also the medical director of Whole Women's Health Alliance in South Bend, Indiana, where I fly once a month to provide abortion care. Okay. How did that happen? So it is something that many abortion providers do is... Okay. travel to underserved areas because there's just a shortage of providers. Oftentimes, folks are traveling from progressive states to hostile states um, because, you know, many family medicine physicians and OBGYNs don't feel comfortable practicing abortion care in such a hostile environment because then they're subject to attack, you know, and it's not just them, it's their families. And so, unfortunately... That you know that is one of the contributing factors to the shortage of abortion providers. It's just that there's the this fear, fear, and there's this like geographic maldistribution of providers. So they tend to be on the coasts, blue states, blue states. Yes, right, right. And then I gotta ask if you don't mind answering: Have you ever been verbally attacked, yelled at? Have you gone through this? Yeah. So you know the anti's really like to instill fear among abortion providers. And there have been instances in the past where a few notable abortion providers have actually been murdered. And um, George Tiller is one um, who it's pretty well known. And yeah, I mean, occasionally I'll get um, hate mail or weird LinkedIn messages. Um but, you know, for the most part, being in New York, um, right. I'm surrounded by, you know, this like liberal bubble. And so, you know, I've, I've been able to avoid any serious threats. Not gonna Okay. So, yeah. Are you sorry, Mira, are you originally from this area? Or are you, where are you from? No, I'm actually from South Carolina, born and raised. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So then I got to ask your transition from uh, the Callan Lord Community Center health center, sorry, mm -hmm. to Planned Parenthood. What uh, prompted that decision? Yeah. And then I have to ask, since our parents are Indian, South Asian, what was their reaction to it then and now? Okay. So the first part of the question is sort of how I, you know, how I guess how I transitioned from Callan Lord to where I am now. And 
So I always wanted to work in like the sexual reproductive health space. I was just drawn to this idea that there was so much shame and stigma and bad policy um, preventing people from exercising bodily autonomy. And so I um, started working at Callan Lord um, right after residency where I was providing care to the LGBT community. Um, it's a safe space and a, and a health center that's really dedicated to caring for this community. I myself am a cis woman. I am straight, I'm married to a cis man, but you know I've always been drawn to social justice work. And um, so I was providing HIV care as well as um, trans non-binary care um, and doing contraception management wasn't providing abortion care at Callan Lord. I wanted to get back into the abortion space. And so I took this job as medical director um, at Planned Parenthood Hudson Peconic, where we have 10 health centers. Five of them are in Suffolk County, Long Island, and then four in Westchester and one Rockland County. Okay. So pretty spread out. Yeah. I live in the city, but um, I drive to, to work every day. Um, okay. So I, Yeah. At Planned Parenthood, we provide the full spectrum of services. So I provide prenatal care, abortion care. I do vasectomies, contraceptive management, so IEDs, Nexplanons, um, PEP prep for HIV prevention. We do trans, we do trans and non-binary care as well. So I'm able to do kind of all the things that I was doing at Callan Lord, um, but also um, with abortion in that menu of services. Have these services with Planned Parenthood expanded and evolved over time, or has this always been the case? No. So I actually am the one who started trans non-binary care at Planned Parenthood, at our Planned Parenthood. I started a vasectomy service, and I started, um, oh, and um, PEP and PrEP, rapid initiation of ART for those who have a have a an you know, a, a, a reactive HIV test in the moment, we immediately start them on medication. So a lot of these services I've launched in the past few years that I've been here. Um, and soon we're going to be launching Centering Pregnancy, which I'm really excited about. Um, we just got a huge grant, $125,000 grant to launch this service where patients who are pregnant and wanting to continue the pregnancy will have all of their appointments in a group. So the groups are anywhere from like eight to like 10 patients and they're all due within the same like kind of six week window. And instead of like the one-on-one, they'll come to their appointments in a group. And the first half is sort of the medical visit where one by one, they kind of meet with the provider in the corner. Um, And then the second half of the visit is anywhere from like a 30 to 45 minute discussion on a topic that pertains to something that's going on, you know, in their pregnancy at that time. So whether it be nutrition, breastfeeding, you know, talking about the benefits of breastfeeding once they deliver um, vaccines, depression, postpartum depression. And this model of care is actually shown to improve maternal mortality um, outcomes related to maternal mortality um, and morbidity, as well as um, neonatal outcomes. So it's an- interesting. I haven't heard that terminology before. Mm-hmm. It, it's, okay. it's, it's, it's actually the way that in which we delivered care at Mount Sinai where I did residency. So I learned how to provide prenatal care using this model. So I'm really excited to bring it to Planned Parenthood. And we'd actually be the only Planned Parenthood in the country doing it. So 
Wow. Um, more inspiration for others to follow suit as yeah. once they see our success with it. Um, and, and it's, it's an, you know, patients can choose to continue to receive their care one-on-one, but this model of care is going to be an option that's available to them. Yeah. For those that want it. And then what, what about your parents' reaction now in terms of, you know, South Asian Indian parents, it runs the gamut from super conservative to, to not. So, you know, I don't know where your parents are, but I've learned throughout the podcast, many South Asian parents are scared to talk about these kind of topics. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, my parents aren't that different. Um, okay. You know, my, my father's a physician and, you know, he just always believes in doing the right thing. So when I came to him and said, you know, this is what I'm doing, I'm providing sexual reproductive health care and abortion is included in that. And he's just like, okay. I mean, if you think that that's what you know, people need and you're doing it for the right reasons, then it must be okay. He came on board pretty quickly. And I mean, I've heard him counsel patients on the phone um, about abortion as an option when, um, you know, the their pregnancy has been diagnosed with an anomaly. Right. Um, and, and I, you know, those are that some of those conversations that I've overheard are moments where I'm like, I am so proud of my dad. And he, the way that he just normalizes it, and says, like, you know, the chance of this baby being born um, and surviving um, are, you know, very slim. And so you may want to consider um, this as an option. And and so, yeah, I mean, I, I the other part of this is that, you know, they definitely express their concerns to me with regards to safety, their parents, and I get it. Um, you know, I was featured in the Washington Post not too long ago, and my my, you know, my, my parents called me to say, okay, we loved that piece. It was really kind and really positive, but we don't trust, you know, the, the, the anti-abortion people. Right. Um, and you know, we're nervous for you. And so they do express their concerns. Of course. Um, I was on the news yesterday and my mom saw it and texted me. Sometimes I avoid telling them the media that I do, but then they, oh, they find it. They'll find it. They find it. And my mom texted me yesterday saying, please be careful. Please be careful. But um, at this point in time, the country is incredibly divided and there's enough people speaking out that, yeah. So anyway. Totally get it. So describe your time there so far. I can't even imagine, you know, I haven't been inside of Planned Parenthood. So for someone like me, I can't imagine the environment and this and that. So I, anytime you hear about Planned Parenthood, it's, it's you know, someone's protesting outside or like it's like a there's something about it on the news, right? It's always newsworthy stuff. Describe your time there so far. And then what has maybe described a difficult moment or time there? And then maybe a moment that you're like, I know this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. If you can one or the other or both. It's like my everyday. I wake up excited to work. Um, I, I really do love my job. Um, I don't feel like it's work. It's just like part of part of who I am now. Um, like you're calling. Definitely. Um, and, you know, I approach it with authenticity and I approach it with just like genuine compassion. And I, I it just feels right to me. Um, <clears throat> you know, you mentioned that you've never been inside of a Planned Parenthood. If you ever want to, to come visit, I will host you. I will give you a tour. Um, I'm really proud of our facilities. My CEO has done an incredible job of raising funds to totally remodel and renovate um, many of our health centers. So I like to show them off um, when donors and visitors come. 
some of the most striking uh, moments that I've had, most memorable moments that I've had while doing this work is actually caring for my own community. You you asked me earlier about like, you know, kind of how my parents feel about this work. And I think that it wasn't until I started seeing South Asian patients in my, one of my Suffolk County locations, one of my Long Island locations that my mom really started to come on board. Because at first I was like seeing patients who spoke Gujarati, and I will say I actually speak Gujarati pretty well, but I didn't know the word, I was, I, you know, for for birth control, and I didn't know the word for uterus. I used to, and I'd forgotten. And I'm sitting. I would just say it in an Indian accent. <laughs> that would be my Gujarati. <laughs> I mean, my Gujarati is ghetto, but yeah, <laughs> and sometimes it works, right? Sometimes, yeah. but like I'm sitting there in the OR, like texting my mom, be like, mom, mom. Send me a voice. Like, yeah. Like, how do you get the uterus? And she's like, it. You know, like she's telling me, and then she's what's like, the way, what's the word? You have to tell me now. it. Never heard. Yeah. Okay. Some someone's gonna be like, she said it wrong. No, that I'm that's how you say it. Um yeah. and then um the word for birth control, and my mom's like, people just say family planning. And she's right. Like yeah. as soon as I say family planning, they're like, Oh yeah, I know exactly what you're saying, but I've noticed that when I say birth control, they're like looking at me like, huh? But many of the patients that I care for in Long Island are coming to me. They don't speak any English. They're so dependent on their husbands. Like they don't drive. They don't speak the language. They have no money on, on, on their person. So they're so dependent and their husbands are bringing them to the appointment and all of the decision-making tends to be centered around the husband. And some of those those are some of those moments are hard for me. Right. Um and and a few have gotten pretty dark, right? It's like we're, we're like in the 1950s or something. Yeah. And you know, what one of my one of my patients, I remember um I had talked to her about all of her options for birth control, for family planning, and she said, you know, she decided, "Oh, I would want an IUD because as soon as we complete the abortion procedure, you can insert an IUD right then and there. So they barely feel it and it's it's right. so quick and it's a good time to get an IUD um, if you're in that moment. And so she said, yeah, that's what I want, but let me ask my husband. So she calls her husband from the OR and he's in the waiting room and he says, no, 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 no. And she said, I have a Gujarati doctor here, Dr. Shah. You can talk mm-hmm. to her. She said that it's safe and that it's a good method. And he said, no, 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 I don't want to talk to her. I know you're not getting that. And then she hung up the phone and I said, you know, you can, I can put this in and he will never know. Right. Your body. She was too scared. And at that moment I was like, you know, are you in a safe relationship? Is, is are a lot of these women from India, from India, immigrated here with their husbands kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Got it. Where the husband's been here and then he goes back, meets the woman and then they come, you know, like, so it tends to be that the, that the men are more kind of, acclimated to their environment. Whereas the right. women that I've seen are like completely dependent and like haven't really been able to navigate their their new homes or new towns. Like everything. And everything. Their children's education. It's literally like my mom when she got here in 1967. Like yeah. this is how ridiculous it yeah, is. Yeah, my mom too. And so so those are the moments that I frustrating. Frustrating. And I, you know, and then I and I talked to my mom about them and you know, she's also become a little bit of an activist in her own right, saying, "Oh, my my people get abortions, my people get IUDs, right?" Like, and it, that's awesome. And it becomes personal for her, right? She tells all of her girlfriends. You know, she gives <laughs> she's given my book away to to people who come over. 
Good. Good for you, Auntie. That's amazing. Do you think the number one, not number one, but one of the main reasons these men, and, and we're obviously focusing on South Asian men that you've met, that these husbands are saying no, it has to be a combination of uh, lack of knowledge and fear and then control. Absolutely. What else can it be? Fear and control. It's fear okay. and control. And- Which is the crux of many male problems, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and, I, and what I say is, you know, let's have the, and I have ongoing conversations. There's a few women who come back to me for various things and, you know, and I'll say, you know, do you feel comfortable getting the IUD now? A few women I've been able to mm-hmm. successfully, you know, initiate a method of birth control that they've wanted um, without them fearing their partner's going to, you know, get in the way, um, uh, which, which honestly, it's a form of reproductive coercion, right? Really like control, which, a, which a lot of women go through, not just these South Asian women it's that not, you know, are kind of it, immigrants. Cause I'm assuming, I don't know, would you be able to kind of sum up the demographics you see right now as patients? Everyone across the board. Everyone across the board. Everyone across the board. There is no specific type of abortion for a patient. I see young patients. I see older patients, patients who thought they've already gone through menopause and, whoa, they're they're pregnant. So race, gender, class, everything. age, socioeconomic status. Yep. Everything across the board. Okay. So I, I feel like there might be this myth that people that go to Planned Parenthood are the ones that can't afford a do- doctors or, you know, can't have nowhere else to go kind of thing. Nope. I see physicians as patients all the time. People know that they're not going to get judged when they walk through our doors, right? Like, and I've seen this time and time again, where, you know, they haven't established OBGYN, they have established primary care provider who may or may not be providing abortion care, but they just don't feel comfortable disclosing because they don't know what kind of reaction they're going to get from their provider. But they right. can walk into um, Planned Parenthood and automatically received non-judgmental care. So I get that. I like, I understand. That's like, I feel like that's more than half the battle right there. Yeah, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Right. Like being able to go someone like you and feeling like you have someone on your side. Yeah. Kind of thing. So, you know, you've been there again for four years. What do you think Planned Parenthood stands for, for women across this country? They stand for equality and justice and being able to exercise bodily autonomy and making the decisions that you need to make decided by you, enacted by you, and we are just here to facilitate. Amazing. I just got chills. Yeah. That that is what that is not even Planned Parenthood, but like the reproductive rights, justice, and health movements combined. Like that is our approach. Right. Um, because Planned Parenthood is like one abortion provider, but like actually Few, like what a lot of people don't know is that the majority of people providing abortions are non-Planned Parenthood health centers. So Whole Women's Health Alliance is, you know, where I'm the medical director at their South Bend clinic. And, you know, they, they have health centers across the country as well and do a lot of advocacy work. The South right. Bend clinic is a lot smaller. All, we're, all we are doing for the first few years is medication abortion. And we just got in two weeks, I'll be doing the first procedural abortions there because um, we just got our um, license to do that. Okay. Um, but it's been a challenge because, right, uh, providing abortion care in New York looks very different than providing abortion care in Indiana. I can't imagine. Yes. Do you even bother or have you in the past talked to antis? Like, is it is, is that what we call them, antis? I we call them know. antis. We don't antis. Call them Do you even, like, bother discussing it or – would you ever hope to one day try to hold a discussion with a bunch of antis or is that something that's just off the table now? So 
most of them aren't actually wanting to have the discussion because they are so set in their ways. Right. And honestly, a lot of the advocacy efforts are geared towards people who are wanting to ask and have a conversation in the first place. Right. That's not the antis. They are fixed in their ways. And it's really the people who are sort of maybe in between or maybe don't know enough. That's why I wrote, right. you know, this, this is one of the motivations for writing my book. It wasn't to get change hearts and minds on like the anti side. It was really to like stimulate sort of and motivate people who are maybe in between or, or are very openly um, pro reproductive health acts. Right. And I wanted to give people the language to use, right? Like we don't, it's so important. We don't, we don't say pro-life and pro-choice anymore. And there's so many reasons why it's really anti-abortion because that's what they are. They aren't pro-life. They're anti-abortion. Right. I don't say pro-choice anymore because for most people, it's not a choice. They right. have to do that, right? Like, because whatever circumstance, whether it be there, I mean, again, as a med- as a physician, I operate on a need-to-know basis. I only ask questions that I need to know in order to care for the patient. Why they're having an abortion, that is not necessary for me to know. I've, oftentimes, I am privy to, I, I, you know, people tell me their stories because they feel comfortable and they feel like sharing. And in those cases, I, you know, I, I, I am there holding their hand and being supportive. But um, yeah, so anyway, I don't know. I'm going off on a tangent. No, I love it. I love it. So on your book. So you're the only one I've told the mm-hmm. stories behind abortion. So, you know, I had a miscarriage in between my first and second child. And I didn't write a book about it. But I when I was reading about how, you know, why you wrote this book, it really hit me for some reason. I, you know, I had it, you know, five, six years ago. It sucked. I was probably depressed for a little bit of time and went through, went through whatever emotions I needed to go through. I didn't realize it at the time, even, I don't think. I started talking about it. I'm a talker. I have a podcast. So I actually started, I was open about it with friends. My husband knew I needed to talk about it. He was fine, fine with me doing it. And I got to tell you, Mira, I feel like 60% of my friends had a miscarriage and no one talked about it. And yep. it was like six out of 10 friends were like, yeah, me too. And I'm like, what? What? Like, how come? And they literally would say, you're the only one I've told. Yeah. Yeah. And most of them were South Asian. And I just, so when I read this paragraph uh, about how you why you started this book and what you learned from it. I'm like, wow, this is kind of, I, I get it. Um, okay. So the book for a long time, you were, you weren't, you were telling people you were a doctor, but you wouldn't be direct in saying I'm an abortion provider. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. For a long time I wasn't saying that. And I don't, I, maybe I didn't have the right words. I didn't have the confidence, you know, when you're in the hierarchy of medicine back then I was like, just starting out, I, I, I just, I just didn't, I, I don't know. I was you weren't ready, whatever, whatever it was, you weren't ready, right? And I came out in a Target to like a st- complete stranger, which is like the first vignette in my book. I was, I was at Target in South Carolina getting a card for, for my nephew, and this woman was in the aisle, and she said, "Are you a nurse?" And I was like, "Huh." And I look and I, and I, and I, I saw my stethoscope kind of jutting out of my, my shoulder bag. And I was like, Oh, and I said, no, I'm actually a doctor. Um, and she said, Oh, okay. What kind? And people in the South just like chit chat with oh, like, I know. I'm from Texas. I know. <laughs> so this wasn't that 
strange um, of an occurrence for me. But so we chatted and she said, you know, I said, oh, I'm a family medicine doctor and I, I do sexual reproductive health. And I don't know, I had this like moment of courage and I said, I do a HIV care, trans non-binary care, abortion care. Maybe it's because I was in the South and I was feeling bold and I was like, I just want to say it. Yes. Let's just let it out. She was an older white woman and I was totally stereotyping her and was like, this is the Bible Belt. Like, she's probably anti-abortion. She's, I don't know, probably, you know, votes a certain way. Religious, perhaps. Yeah. All these things I just like totally judged her on. Right. She takes her hand, puts it on, she puts her hand on my arm and says, I've had an abortion and in fact, I've had two. And she said, you're the only one I've told. I haven't even told my husband. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I was so blown away. And then I felt really shitty because I was like, I just judged her. It's like it's meant to be like some higher, higher power was making this happen. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I, I, I feel so bad because I judged her yet here she is telling me and I'm the only person she's ever told somebody she is spoken to for two seconds. And then, I don't know, we got distracted, like something was announced on the intercom. And so I, whatever, we parted ways. I didn't even catch her name yet. Now I like hold her abortion story or just that she had one or two, in fact. Um, and so that's when I realized that it's super important to talk about it, to normalize it, to not whisper the word abortion, to say it with confidence, say it with a smile. One of my attendings in residency actually had us all do uh, like a, a fake clinical case where she brought in an, an actress um, who was acting as a patient who thought that she was pregnant. And so as the doctor, I had to do a pregnancy test. It was positive and then tell her that it was positive and then provide her with her options. And we got graded on how we said the word abortion like, did you say it with confidence? Did you, did you normalize it? Did you, you know, like, did you say it with like, did you cower? When you, like, I feel like I would just mess up out of nervousness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'd be like, abo- abo- abortion? How do you say it in Gujarati? Yeah. <laughs> say it in Gujarati, you in the past. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was so important. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I don't know, I've just learned over, over the years that she was really right. Like people don't say it out loud. People will say shmorshmorshin or like, you know, if they're in public or, I I I I just I say it with confidence. I say it with a smile. Yeah, yeah, because people equate it to whatever they equate it to, right? Exactly. And not and not for what it is or what it really means, which I love. So you collected how many stories did you collect for this book? About seventeen, but there was more than that because I okay. I got I got so many that I put like a few extra like in between stories just to illustrate the point that I was trying to make. Right. I think the one thing that it's going to be interesting to learn about this book is that. The, the book shows that abortion does not always happen in a vacuum. It always occurs in a unique context, right? which I think is so important. People don't, don't know that or don't think that it, like it's, it's so every case is so unique. And I think people kind of stereotype and generalize who gets abortions and why. Yeah. Well, they choose to ignore the context. Choose, right? Yeah. Yeah, they I'm not- just look at the abortion it, it, like on its own, and they forget that like it's a human being going through that experience. Right, and that experience is you know it's a very deliberate decision based on their life circumstances, and, and a lot of times it's not 
an easy decision. I mean, it just varies. You just can't. No, it's it's not. I mean, it's not. And, and often, I mean, I see patients who come in, they come in for their abortion and they say, you know what? I actually, I, I'm not sure. And I'm like, you know what? Luckily, you are in the state of New York and you have time. Right. I want you to go home and, and you know, think about it. Take a prenatal vitamin in the interim and we are here to support you in whatever you decide. Like, because they oftentimes people feel bad. They're like, oh my gosh, I came here all the way to do this. And now I'm telling them no. And I'm like, no, 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 no. You have every right. And to That's exactly why places like Planned Parenthood exist to give women time and yes. like options. Yes, absolutely. And, and you know, if you want to establish prenatal care, we're here for you. If you want, want abortion care, if you just don't know, if you want time to think about it, you know, we honor that. And in that kind of environment, women can make the right decision for themselves. Absolutely. Outside of that, the pressure, this and that, I mean, how can you make a right decision? It's not, and I, one of the, so the, the language about, you know, around that the, the, the decision to have an abortion should be made between the patient and, the, and her physician. No, it's not even up to me. It is literally up to the patient. Like I can tell you if there's medical contraindications to like a medication abortion or right. if the procedure would be safer in the hospital and not in the outpatient setting. Absolutely. Like I can right. decide that, but to have one or not, I trust my patients. I, you know, it is not my, it's not in my job description. For sure. But I think Mira, what you guys do is give them the space to trust themselves because, mm -hmm. you know, we, women stereotypically, of course, generally second guess themselves a lot more yeah. about everything, yeah. you know, um, and having a child is the biggest decision you can make, right? We need a space like Planned Parenthood and, and other clinics like that to give us peace in whatever way we want to go. Absolutely. Honestly, you know, and so I will have to come visit. I would gladly come visit. Yeah. Would love, love, to, love to see the space. <laughs> Definitely. So let's uh, let's get into the current news. So obviously we have heard about the leak Supreme Court opinion, which is a whole other crazy podcast that would basically would overturn Roe v. Wade mm -hmm. and end the constitutional right to an abortion, which is essentially dismantling 50 years of precedent, right? Yeah. And yeah. it basically will now... If this happens, this draft, which seems like it's not a draft, it essentially paves the way for each state to limit abortion rights. Yep. So that's the basics of, of what just happened the past 24 hours. A few cases to remember, Supreme Court cases, is Dobbs v. Jackson, which was the most recent one, the Mississippi case that bans abortion after 15 weeks. That's what this decision is. This Based is on, right? Linked to, right. Final isn't it, it's expected to come out in June. That that case talks about 15 weeks. Roe v. Wade says you can abort up into fetal viability, which is about 23 weeks. Is that correct? The standard is really 24 weeks. 24 weeks. Okay. There's a little bit of gray area kind of around, but yeah, that's that's the standard. And then the other major case was Planned Parenthood versus Casey, mm -hmm. which aff affirmed the holding of Roe but also said that states can restrict abortions so long as they don't produce a undue burden, which I've read is very hard to apply. Uh, yes. And okay. so, okay. So I just want to talk, I'm just trying to break those down in, in easy terms. Like you said, Dobbs is Dobbs v. Jackson mm -hmm. is, is what we're talking about now, what the Supreme right. court is looking at now. 
Planned Parenthood is the other major case, and then Roe v. Wade. Right, right. Okay. So Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Yeah, so Casey, Roe, Dobbs. Yeah. Those are the three president-setting abortion cases. Yes, and there's there's a few more sprinkled in there. I mean, it's right. been reaffirmed time and time again um, in the past 50 years. But here we are. Um, this was highly anticipated. Um, we've, know, we've known that this was going to happen. Not the leak, but we, we knew where... The, this the the Supreme Court was going to land on 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 this issue. Um, we've been doing things from medical services side to optimizing our our abortion care, um, building capacity, hiring more providers, increasing the number of days in which we do the procedures. Because um, we're already doing providing medication abortion six days a week, but now we want to provide procedural abortion more days in the week because we are expecting folks to travel now. Right. Let me, there's a lot that I want to say on this issue. So, yes, please. So the leak, it, you know, was also unprecedented. That's never happened before. And it's really pissed a lot of people off. Uh, well, we're questioning the Supreme Court now. Um, and is it becoming a third political arm? Yeah, well. You know, like, it's just, or branch, sorry. No, right. And they say that they're not, but elected officials are the ones who appoint these justices to the court, right? Mm -hmm. So we knew we knew that this was going to happen based right. on the new makeup of the court. Yep. That said, Roe has always been the floor, not the ceiling. So, like, it is definitely, you know, it's it, it's allowed abortion to be legal in all fifty states, yep. and federal law trumps state law. So right. that that we know that we have established. Each state, though, as you said, has the ability to kind of chip away at access. Right. If you take a pregnancy test at home, uh, find out that, you know, it's positive and decide that you want to have an abortion, you can call Planned Parenthood or another abortion provider or many primary care doctors actually do medication abortion in their office. So you can call, make an appointment that same day for the most part. Definitely okay. in my health centers. Now... You come in, you may or may not have an ultrasound. It just depends on sort of your last menstrual period. Um, we don't we don't have mandatory ultrasounds. You, you decide, you know, which which method, you, you, you know, we also just, cause a lot of patients don't know that there's the procedure. Some patients don't know that there's the pill. So we just like tell everyone kind of what their options are in, um, for the abortion process. If you decide that you want a medication abortion, we make sure you don't have any medical contraindications, which are very few to begin with. We give you the pills, tell you how to take them. You take the pills home and then you take them, um, you know, kind of, and you decide with the provider only because if you're over nine weeks, then you need two, you need maybe a, another set of pills. Um, but medication abortion is safely done up to 11 weeks in the privacy of your own home. And, Patients are allowed to use their Medicaid to pay for abortion. They're allowed to use their commercial insurance. If we, if if they are truly self-pay, undocumented, um, don't have insurance, then we tap into local abortion funds. Um, so there's there's many options there. Now okay. in Indiana, go to Indiana. So if you're in Indiana and you find out that you're pregnant and you want an abortion, you have to first find a provider, which is hard because there aren't many abortion providers there. You find one, you probably have to travel to it. You go to the clinic. You have to have an ultrasound. 
you have to have a copy of the ultrasound handed to you. You will be read a script that is mandated by the state. The script says things like life begins at conception, that abortion causes um, mental health issues. You, Who writes these script? is it scripts? Is it the clinic? No, 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 no. Not the clinic. The state does. The state writes oh, it. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, no, no. If it was up to the clinic, but none of this would happen. Okay. So it's state by state would write. Yep. In Texas, it says that abortion causes breast cancer because I was I was working in Texas for a little bit many years ago. Yep. And in Indiana, it says, you know, like what I said about um, life at conception, life begins at conception and that um, abortion causes mental health issues. Yeah. It's really alarming. Um, And every time I have to do it, it it just doesn't get easier. (laughs) Like it's 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 really hard. Then the patient has to go home and come back at least 18 hours later in order to get the pills and they can't use their, there's a total insurance ban in Indiana. So they have to pay out of pocket for their, their abortion. They can't use their Medicaid. They can't use commercial insurance. So a lot of people can't afford it. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen people come back because they're like, wait, I only have half, half of the funds. And we, we do also tap into local abortion funds, but people will, you know, delay care because they, can't get off work that day, like two days in a row. They can't find childcare two days in a row. They don't have the funds for all of that or for the abortion. I've seen it happen before my eyes. It's terrible. Yeah. And they make them go and come back 18 hours later. So they think about it. Is that what it is? Yes. That is that. Yeah. Yeah. There's a real, there's really good research around this um, called the, it's called the turnaway study. It's actually a book. Um, that was published right around the time mine was published. And it talks about the harms of turning somebody away for an abortion. Increase in um, poverty, increase in poor health outcomes for the person who's pregnant, um, increase in mental health issues. I mean, there's so much data around this. Yet it it continues to, these laws um, continue to exist in so many states. So we were already struggling with abortion access. And now it would just be a complete loss of abortion access in 26 states. Yeah, I was just about to ask that. So I read if Roe goes away, which looks like it's going to, 13 states have trigger laws Mm -hmm. outlawing abortion. Right. With several other states following. So about, you said 26 states will probably outlaw abortion, half half the U.S. Uh So it feels like... There is going to be two Americas when it comes to abortion. And it and simply said, if I'm correct, it's red state, blue state. Yeah, pretty much. So the women that will end up probably suffering the most are the women in these red states. People of color, LGBTQIA, all the marginalized populations are going to be impacted the most. If you are a privilege, if you have resources, if you are white. You're fine. You're fine. You're totally fine. And it's, it's what's, what's really challenging with this work is that what's happening isn't the will of the people. Seven out of 10 Americans want Roe to be in place. They, right. they, they want to uphold Roe. They want it to be the law of the land. Right. But our, the politicians don't represent the will of the people. Right. But they basically said the Constitution has nothing to say about abortions, 
specifically, right? Makes no reference to abortions. No such right is protected. Yet, same-sex marriages are legal. Gay sex is not a crime. Like all this stuff, which is not specifically in the Constitution, is now legal. So this is targeting abortion. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing about like, you know, we've made a lot of progress with regards to gender equality in the past several years. And it used to be that women had to ask their husbands to like sign up for a credit card. The credit card is not mentioned in the constitution, right? Like, Like, yeah. The reasoning is so ridiculous. Right. That is not mentioned in the constitution. Yeah. Like, guess what? A lot of things aren't. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's crazy. And then the other thing I was reading about this again, basically in these States that decide all these restrictions for abortion will survive, and even like rape and incest, which is currently an exception. Right. And that, I mean, that's going to be state by state. Right. I'm deciding the terms of abortion access. So, what does this mean for clinics like Planned Parenthood? What does this, what is the real life consequences of this happening? If this does go away, if Roe is overturned, what can we expect? Well, we've already gotten a taste of what we can expect um, because of what's happened in Texas. So Texas has essentially had abortion outlawed for most people um, since September, 2021 because of SB8. Right. Um, So while it's, Again, people are like, but I don't get it because Rose said that it's not illegal to have an abortion. Well, yeah, the individual having the abortion wouldn't get in trouble after six weeks. But the provider, the Uber driver, anybody facilitating that abortion could be sued by like a bystander. Like yes. It's a citizen arrest kind of situation? Well, it's a citizen can sue an individual for aiding and abetting in, in abortion care. So- because of what's happening in Texas, believe it or not, we've had patients come from Texas to New York to get abortion care. And there was a really good graph in the New York Times about, um, and I can send it to you, but that shows when SBA went into effect, like the number of abortions happening in Texas dropped significantly. I mean, some people were still getting abortions, but it had to be before fetal cardiac activity, the flicker, you know, it's like a little, so before that point. So yeah, there's some people who are still were still able to get abortions. But then there was this gap um, that was filled by people accessing abortion pills online, as well as people going to other states, other states, or even Mexico, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is a whole other topic, I think. Yeah. Yeah, people were traveling. Also lots of safe. They were taking unsafe steps to get their abortions done. Yeah. But I will say, what do you do when you don't know something? You go straight to Google, right? (laughs) You look it up. That's true. And if you were to Google, like, how can I get an abortion, you know, reputable and reliable and safe resources will come up. Right. Aid access is really great. It's, um, it was started by Dr. Rebecca Gompert, um, who's based in the Netherlands. And she, um, I interviewed her for my book. She started this, you know, this platform where people can reach out, have like a consultation to make sure that they're eligible for the medication abortion. And then the pills are mailed from overseas, actually from India to to folks in the United States. So can those pills legally go into Texas? So the legal part of this, I can't comment on. Okay. Okay. But it's happening. Got it. I've heard. I've heard stories. 
it's happening. And there's other platforms. Hey Jane is one that's US based. Okay. Um, you know, they can only service certain areas because of all the rules around um, providing healthcare across state lines. Yeah. Um, like I, me being in New York, I can't provide care. I can't send pills to somebody in Texas. Right, right. Um, that would be, I mean, I could lose my license for that. So I totally do that. We, I, I can only provide care to people who are sitting in New York. New York State. New yeah. York State. Mm-hmm. So what now, Mira? What do we do now? What do women do now? <laughs> what happens now? I know. I mean, I feel like it's hard. I've been getting a lot of texts and emails begging for advice on what to do. And I mean, like, like, I mean, the help, like, of course, protesting yeah. and this and that. Like, yeah, I think a perfect. lot of us feel like, honestly, the first thing I did was think of you. I was like, I need to get this interview mm-hmm. out. I need to talk to her about this. I mean, it's it's really voting in every single election, not just the presidential election. Every local election right. matters, and that's huge. And people don't realize that we have such poor voter turnout in this country. Um, you it's know, sad. it's really sad. And my my aunt in India, she's in Bombay, and she she votes in every election, and she will always she barely speaks English, and she just complains so much because she hears in the United States there's such such poor voter turnout. Right, so voting is huge. Donating to, I mean, I know a lot of patients are, or excuse me, people are donating to Planned Parenthood, which is great. I work at Planned Parenthood. I love Planned Parenthood. But I think also uh, donating to abortion funds yeah. um, is is huge. Uh, donating to Whole Women's Health Alliance, where I work in South Bend. I mean, Whole Women's Health Alliance also does a lot of advocacy. I mean, I have two girl, little girls, and that's all I think about now, you know, just what their futures in general um, this one hit me hard. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you to Dr. Mira Shaw for chatting with me last minute. I know you're crazy busy uh, and you are seriously a crusader for women's rights. I will have all the links up in my notes, um, ways you can support, you know, places you can go if you need help or guidance yourself. And I know many of you like me feel like this dark tunnel is never ending. That's why it just helps to talk about it and learn from people like Dr. Mira Shah. Um, And thank you guys for listening. The support means a lot. This is Tuckered out.